You're listening to a Dwell Community Church production. If you'd like to check out more resources, visit dwellcc.org. Last time we did an introduction to the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we talked about this is a great church that had been established in this city of Thessalonica. That He was really positive about the way that they had been impacted, the way that they had changed their lives, the way that they were serving and loving and sharing, and that this church was growing despite the fact that it was under some pretty fierce opposition. And Paul was just encouraging them, telling them how amazing it is that they have done so well and how the word of their excellent deeds have reached ears throughout all of Greece. And we talked about the the three factors that he focused in on that made this church great was their faith in God's word, that they worked hard to serve and love and care for one another. And they were looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ, knowing that this life is not all that there is, but that we're eternal beings that are promised eternity with him. And so as we get into chapter two, then he's getting into another aspect of what makes this church in Thessalonica great And that what makes all churches great is the beating heart of the living gospel. We're going to spend tonight talking about what is the gospel. He starts in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impunity, impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. So this word gospel keeps coming up. It's at the center of what he wants them to understand, of the message he says he was bringing to them. You know, we have this word gospel, and it's a very churchy word. Uh, What does it mean? It seems like an old-timey word. It's a genre of music. What is the gospel? And specifically, he's talking about this, this gospel not just as a message. It is a message, but it is something that is living and breathing. It's a way of life. It's a, it's a perspective on our fellow man. It's a way of understanding God. And so what we're going to do is we're going to break this gospel into three different components. There's the message, the actual communication of the gospel. There's the delivery, how you share the gospel with others. And there's the reason, why is it important and why share it at all? And he covers all of that in the second chapter of 1 Thessalonians. The word gospel is a word that's translated from the Greek. And the Greek word, the original language that the book of 1 Thessalonians was written in was Greek, is euangelion. This is the word that like evangelical comes from. Euangelion means literally translated the good news. 
And that's another word that you hear a lot coming from preachers and pastors and you know, churchy words. Have you, brother, have you heard the good news? What is that about? Where does that come from? The history behind the euangelion is very interesting. It was a Greek word, like I said, but it existed before Christianity. If you go all the way back into the, uh, the Greek classic texts, they use this word euangelion. Kittle, in his study of the Greek language, writes that among the Greeks, the term is used for the proclamation of the news of a victory. The euangelos comes from the field of battle by ship or horse or a swift runner and proclaims to the anxiously awaiting city the victory of the army and the death or capture of the enemy. See, this is before television. This is before radio. This is before uh, rapid communication, right? And there were battles that would be fought that would have serious outcomes for the people. And so one great army would be fighting another great army and whoever won, the news would have to go to everyone else. Imagine all the laws, all the rules could change overnight. You could wake up that morning an Israelite and go to bed that night a Roman. And the rules would change and be different. And they would want to get the word out right away who won these battles so that the effect would be known. And no matter who won, it was always good news because, well, you were under a new ruler and it was good news. Whoever it was, it was good that they won, right? So a battle would be fought and a guy would ride into town and he'd be like, good news, everybody. We're Romans. Everybody would be like, yay. That was the gospel. That was the euangelion, the good news was a herald who was somebody with a really loud voice who would yell and shout so that everyone could hear the message of the victory that had been won. And so the gospel writers took that and said, I like that. We're declaring the victory of Jesus Christ over sin and death. The good news is that Jesus Christ has come and he has died for our sins. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, For I delivered to you as first importance that what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. The good news, the gospel is that Jesus came as the Old Testament predicted. He lived a life of love and sacrifice and concern. He healed people. He raised them from the dead. He explained that he came to take our punishment for the sins, for the evil that we've done, to take it upon himself. He was crucified. While he was there, God took the wrath that we deserve for our personal evil you and I and all of us, he poured it out on the person of Jesus Christ who cried out, it is finished, it is paid in full, was dead, was buried, and then raised again three days later as a proof, as an affirmation that God really was behind the teachings of the Messiah. It was the ironclad demonstration that Jesus' teachings were real. And what 
the Bible tells us then is, Jesus speaking here in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. The choice that we're left with is, do we want a relationship with God or not? Do we want to connect with him? Do we understand that we are fallen, that we are broken, that we need forgiveness? Are we in connection with the reality that we are broken and that we have hurt other people and that we have real problems? And are we willing in humility when we hear Jesus knocking on the door, when God is pulling up the strings of our heart saying, I want a relationship with you. Will you come in? Will you let me into your life? The, the choice on our part is whether or not to accept and to turn to him and say, God, I want you in my life. I need you to pay for my sins. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And those are all the conditions. That's all that's required. This is why it's good news. Is we had a debt. We had read in our ledger with God. And Jesus Christ paid that debt for us. And offers it us a relationship with him with no strings attached. John 1.12 says, but as many as received him, that's the requirement that you open the door, that you receive him. To them, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. What that means is no matter how evil you've been, how rebellious you've been, how much you've shaken your fist at God, it means that no matter how difficult it is to imagine yourself being accepted by a God that is good, he loves you and he will accept you if you turn to him in faith and ask him into your life. That's the message of the good news. The delivery of the good news is just as important. How people understand it. You can hear it in a teaching like this and the power of God and the Holy Spirit may be moving in your heart so that you can understand this, so that you can sense that this is true. But if all you do is listen to someone like me, you will not be understanding or receiving the full gospel because the gospel is something that must be lived and it must be observed. You have to see it in action. You're gonna have to get to know the people in this room and see how they live, and see how they connect with one another, and see how they serve, and see how they love others in order to see the gospel in action. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 2, but after we had already been suffered and mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. The delivery of the gospel will come regardless of whether or not it's popular or not. There's an offense to the gospel. Many have been offended. They say, well, why can't I earn my, my way to God? Why can't I just be a good person? And the Bible's answer to that is there's no such thing as a good person. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we say, whoa, whoa, whoa. I may have some problems, but I'm a lot better than a lot of other people. 
But that's not how it works. The standard is not the comparison to other people. The standard is our comparison to God who is perfect. And so the gospel, the good news is not good news for everybody. Paul was a persecutor of the church. The gospel was a threat to the power that he had uh, acquired by being a religious authority in the Jewish system. The gospel was a threat in Philippi because it, it threatened to overthrow the Greek idol system, which was a commerce and a business for many of the powerful people in that city. So they tried to stop it. They tried to destroy it. And we read last week when he showed up in Thessalonica, those in power and the authorities came in and said, these are the men that are trying to upset the world. And they've come here to our city. The gospel overturns the status quo. It says that all of us are equal. All of us are brothers and sisters in Christ. All of us have the same value regardless of our socioeconomic background, our education, our race, what kind of music we listen to, what kind of clothes we wear, that we all are beloved of God. And it sets us all on an equal footing, which is a major threat to the status quo. And so there will always be this side of eternity, those who oppose this victory. He said, we proclaimed it with boldness. We were confident. We know that what we're talking about is true and we are not afraid to share it with you. Yes, we understand the risks. We understand that you may hate us for, for proclaiming it, but we must proclaim it because it's true. No matter what comes up, no matter what threat there may be, no matter how upsetting to people it may be to hear that Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It must be declared because it's true. He goes on in verse 5, he says, for we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. We weren't blowing sunshine up your butts. We weren't trying to get rich. God himself is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. Think about it. They have been harassed and driven out of the city of Philippi. And what do they do? They walk a hundred miles to the west and they show up in Thessalonica and they start the whole process over again. They probably limped into Thessalonica and said, let me tell you about Jesus Christ and his defeat over sin and death. And there were some who received and there were some who were angry and the whole process began again because they believed in the importance of the message. He says, but we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our very own lives because you had become very dear to us. This is almost embarrassing. It just, it, the heat here of of, of love, of affection. I, we don't typically talk to each other. I have loved you 
like a mother loves a child. I would give my life for you. I did lay down my life to you because you are so dear to me. And this isn't flattering speech. This is the reality of the affection that the herald of the gospel brought to Thessalonica. The power of God to truly value one another, to connect with one another, to love one another, to serve one another in a way that changes people's lives. It's the demonstration of the gospel. Intense love and affection and kindness. Think about this. Why are we here? In this room, there's a pandemic on. We spent three or four months in Zoom disconnected and we knew that relationships are important. Connecting with each other is important. Loving and serving one another is important. Most of the people in this room connect with a dozen or two dozen other people on a regular basis because they believe in the importance of love, of being together, of doing life together, of talking about real things, of doing good work together and going out into the community and feeding the hungry, clothing the poor, serving children. Whatever it takes to bring some goodness and light and love into the lives of other people. That is our commitment because our hearts and our lives have been changed by the gospel. And it's hard work. This is where so many churches fail is because it's a lot easier to talk about these things and it's a lot harder to do them. And this is why Christians often are accused of being hypocrites, of saying one thing and living another way and telling everybody that they're loved but not really loving them. And I'm not saying that we succeed. I'm saying we have our problems too. But we try. We spend a lot of time and energy being involved with each other, studying together, praying with one another, serving with one another, and laughing with one another. Because we believe that this is true. The gospel is best demonstrated through self-sacrifice. Jesus said to his disciples, this is how everyone will know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. I want people to know that I am real and what I'm about by observing the way that you love each other. That's a really high bar. He also said this, greater love can no one have than this than to lay down his life for his friends. So Paul, when he talks to them and reminds them, he said, remember how much we love you. Remember how we were when we were with you. And give of yourself to others the way we gave of ourselves to you. He says in verse 9, For you recall, brothers, our labor and hardship, how working day and night so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are a witness, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers. He's got a lot of confidence in the way he acted toward them, doesn't he? 
It would be hubris and it would be arrogant if it weren't true. But the point is made for their benefit. Remember how we lived and how we worked and how we treated you and do that for others. Just as you know, we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children so that you would walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you to his own kingdom and glory. And there we arrive at our third point. The gospel is alive from the message. The gospel is alive through its delivery. And the gospel is alive because of why we proclaim it. For this reason, we also, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Joy. He said, this isn't something we made up. People don't make up stuff like this. People make up stuff like, obey me or you'll burn. Give me your money or you'll be cursed. Those are the things that people make up. The truth of God is you are loved, you are welcomed, you are valuable, and you cannot earn it. You can only receive it. And all of us are the same. Every single one of us has the same value and the same image of God stamped on our hearts. And he's saying this is so important because whether you understand it or not, why are we willing to risk this? Why are we so engaged and impassioned to serve you in this way? It's because it's true. The reason the gospel is true because God has spoken it. He's laid out a path throughout all human history, starting with Adam and Eve in the garden and going right up to the present day where he has been involved and connected and speaking to the human race about the fact that we need forgiveness, that we need to put down our rebellion and come home. He's raised up prophets and he's come in the person of his own son to proclaim the good news of reconciliation through Jesus's death. The reason the gospel is so important is because man is in a desperate situation. We spend our days and our time with an empty feeling, looking for something to make us whole, looking for something to bring us joy. But the only thing that can fix us is our creator, is a connection with him. And without him, we will be separated from him and we will pay the penalty for our sins ourselves. And the penalty for sin is death. And God doesn't want that for any one of us. The reason the gospel is important is because it can make a difference. It can make a difference in people's lives. It can make a difference in a culture. It can make a difference in the way that we see the world. It compels us to be sacrificial. It compels us to love. It compels us to fight for and stand up for justice and kindness and patience. It really does change the way that we think about ourselves and the way that we see each other. The reason the gospel is important because it has the real power to change lives and it has the real power to change what eternity looks like for us. 
and that we participate in that, not just by sharing the gospel, but by living it, by connecting it with each other, and by earnestly loving and serving and speaking the truth to those who don't know. According to the Bible, this is the most important truth in the universe. It's the most powerful truth that there is. It's the answer to the broken human condition, and it's the answer to all eternity. There's nothing more important than for you to know that God loves you and wants a relationship with you. And there's nothing more important for your friends, for your family, for your coworkers, and for your neighbors that they would understand that they are fearfully and wonderfully made and that God loves them and wants them in his life and he wants to be in theirs. We'll close with this. In Galatians 6, 9 through 10, he says, let us not lose heart in doing good. We should memorize this verse for these times. Let us not lose heart in doing good for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are the household of faith. Thanks for listening. This has been a Dwell Community Church production.